0: Name, Zapfino Arabic. Release date, 2014. Designer, Nadine Chahin. Classification, Calligraphic. Owned by Linotype. And claim to fame, this typeface was designed by one of the most talented female type designers in the world today, who is helping to bridge the gap between Latin and Arabic letter forms. I am beyond excited for today. Throughout the last nine episodes of Talk Paper Scissors, we've been exploring an incomplete history of type, an examination of type's history through a deep dive into individual typefaces. From historic and classic typeface designers to more contemporary type visionaries, today's final episode promises to bring you a unique perspective on global type design. From the designer herself, Dr. Nadine Chahin, the incredibly talented and celebrated typeface designer who bridges the gap between Latin and Arabic letter forms, is here with us to discuss her work. She's won several awards, including the Award of Excellence in Type Design from the Type Directors Club in New York in 2008 and 2011. And in 2012, she was selected by Fast Company as one of the 100 most creative people in business. Her typefaces include Frutiger Arabic, New Helvetica Arabic, Universe Next Arabic, and Palatino Arabic, to name just a few, Today's episode is all about Zapfino Arabic and Nadine's beautiful Arabic type. To provide some context to today's discussion, Zapfino Arabic is an Arabic version of the calligraphic face Zapfino designed by famed typographer and professor Herman Zapf. The typeface was developed in the 1980s and 1990s based on a typeface called Zapf he penned in the 1950s. So the Zapfino typeface has numerous alternate characters and lots and lots of ligatures. For example, the letter D has nine versions. In the 1980s, Zapf was working with a number of other academics and had the idea to produce a font file with a number of glyph variations. The only way these swash characters were going to work was through digital means, and not through traditional hot metal type, which he felt was too limiting for this type of face. Remember, Zapf was pioneering digital typography at our sister school, RIT, in the U.S., for many years. He worked with an academic by the name of David Siegel, who worked with Zapf to create the complicated software necessary to make this happen. They then teamed up with type designer Gino Lee, the Eno in Zapfino, and Interestingly, Zap received a letter from Siegel during the project that read that his girlfriend had left him and he'd lost all interest in the project. So Siegel went on to help bring color to Macintosh computers, as well as become an internet design expert. So he left the project and went on to do bigger and better things, I suppose. Now, if Siegel had stayed on board, would the typeface have been named Zapfinos? Uh, We'll never know. (laughs) So the project carried on and Linotype adapted the project to help finish it. It was released in 1998. One of the most interesting parts of Zapfino Arabic for me personally is that I can't understand its context because I can't read Arabic. It's kind of what I imagine my two and four-year-olds seeing when they're learning the Latin alphabet for the first time. Because I have no basis for how the letter forms typically look or when they should be used, so context, societal norms, expectations, I feel like I'm looking at type through the eyes of a child. I think that that's such an interesting and relatively rare occurrence, and I feel very fortunate to be experiencing type through this lens. I am so excited for Nadine to help me better understand Arabic typography. Now, we've already explored the work of Herman Zapf of the ITC Zapf Chancery fame, who passed away in 2015. Prior to 2015, he and Nadine worked together to bring Zapfino Arabic to life. In this conversation today, Nadine shares an incredible number of insights about the discipline of designing Latin and Arabic typography, and I can't wait for you to hear it. Hi, Nadine. I am so 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 delighted that you have gifted us with your time and your immense knowledge in this area. I am a huge admirer of your work and I cannot wait to chat with you. So can you tell us a bit more about how you got started in the world of typography?
1: Sure, and thank you, first of all, for for the invitation. It's it's always nice to talk about type and and to always see people who are enthusiastic about type design and typography. And, and thank you so much for the chance to sit and chat with you today. Um, I started with type like. It, it's a very, very long time ago. <laughs> I, I was 19, I was taking a typography class, Arabic typography class uh, as part of my graphic design course at the American University of Beirut. And uh, we had this amazing, amazing teacher, Samir Sayer, who, uh, who is still my mentor till today. And, and he sort of, um, I, I don't know if it was his purpose or not, but he was showing how the amazing calligraphy um, that we've inherited, uh is is um, you know diverse and it's just the beauty of it is unbelievable and uh at the same time it was teaching us you know some basic principles and then and then i was looking at the typefaces the arabic typefaces that we had available and they looked horrendous and and there was so that gap between the beauty of of calligraphy that we have inherited and the horror of everyday typography and it is in that gap that i found the you know it's not the source of inspiration, but more the drive, you know, to, to actually go in and say, no, no, we, we can do better than this.
0: That's really neat. And actually, I was I was watching a, a video this morning. I was cramming for our <laughs> doing some <laughs> last minute research, if you will. And I, I noticed in a video you mentioned this. So I, I wrote it down because I thought it was so interesting. You said there is a disconnect between calligraphic traditions and typographic traditions. And I guess that's what you're speaking to.
1: Yes, yes. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. So the disconnect is is on many, many different levels. First, there is the the competency of it, that that Arabic calligraphy and Islamic calligraphy in general has, has, you know, reached the, you know, the highest forms of art that you can get, you can get to, particularly within Arab culture, because calligraphy is, you know, one of the most esteemed forms of art that we have. And, um, and so the beauty, the refinement, uh, the, the elegance, the sophistication of that form of communication is just unbelievable. The variety of it. And it's just like mind blowing how gorgeous it is. Uh, so that level of competency, which is so high. And then when you look at the typefaces and I'm speaking when I started, no, I mean, even till today, we still miss a lot. But but that competency was not there in Arabic type design. That, that the forms were weak, the, the designs were not good. So, you know, like, where is that skill? Where is that beauty? Where is the eye that can see that level of detail? So there was that disconnect. Then there is the other disconnect uh, between the functionality of of, of letter forms. So the, uh, the type of uh, calligraphy that we've inherited, most of it is, you know, it, it's far from how we live you know, and and um, sort of sitting in a museum. The, the the one style, which is Rukha, that we see in day-to-day, like when I was growing up, and even till today, if you go to to, to Lebanon and you see, like, um, there would be banners in the street praising some politician or another. They would be in Rukha or sometimes in Nasr, but, you know, roka, you see it in the names of some shops. And so that that is more colloquial and, and we, we can live with. But the rest of the styles, there is, uh, they're beautiful, but, but there is this massive gap in visual communication that we had because we needed styles that can convey other forms of expression. And calligraphy doesn't have to do that, uh, but in Latin it can, and in Arabic, we don't, there's a missing gap, you know? And and so this is where typefaces can come in and sort of plug that gap. Because if you're designing a branding identity and, and you're trying to, or, or, you know, designing signage for an airport, It's not about the beauty of calligraphy anymore, it's about the functionality of the typeface and how it works and how it can be seen from a distance and all of that, and and there's like this whole wide ocean (laughs) of, of, um, you know, uh, variables that we can lose ourselves in and requirements and and we we, we need to work there.
0: No. And I think you're absolutely doing that. I mean, I, I some I of, hope, no, crossing <laughs> my fingers. <laughs> some of the typefaces that you have have kind of um, uh, adapted from Latin alphabets into into um, Arabic uh, alphabet. It's just like we're talking about today with with uh, Zapfino Arabic. But in regards to your process yeah. for for designing any typeface in the Arabic um, in the Arabic alphabet. What is your process? How do you design it? How do you start? Right. Um, so I'm one of those people who believe that uh,
1: form follows function. And so for me, it's always the function first. Every time, like, what, what is the purpose of this typeface? Because it is not calligraphy. It's not a work of art. It's it's utilitarian. It has a purpose. It needs to be fit for purpose. And, and so we need to study... Uh, what is it that this typeface is supposed to do? It's a headline for a newspaper, or if it's for signage for an airport, or it is um, a book typeface that people are supposed to read at leisure, uh, or it could be a menu in a restaurant, you know. And, and so we, we need to understand the function. And then, then we need to understand the personality and voice that this typeface is supposed to project. Um, and, and this is without even drawing anything. This is the thinking in the head, you know, before you start. And, um, and so we we start to look at that function. We look at that personality and voice, and then see what type of style, what type of design style can match for those two, right? And that's when we start to think about design. But before we draw, there is the thinking, right? And and like when I when I teach, I um, I'm always telling the students like think and then draw. Don't just open and just start blurting things out. We we need to we need to have a sense of purpose as to we need to be able to articulate what we want to do before we do it. And so like recently I've been trying to get the students to to explain to me what they want to do with the design before they draw it because if they can put it into words they will be better able to judge what they want to do. And and so this is this is you know it's not the the, the process of how I work but but this is how I've ended up after many years of designing that you know we we think we we try to see what the function the voice and then you start to draw and then you test it then you test it again and then again, <laughs> and then eventually, you know, then you give up and you're like, I don't know how to make it better. And that's when you stop, you know?
0: I love that. So there's no real, well, I guess with any sort of design or art, I mean, there's, there's a stopping point that we stop yeah. at, but, but I mean, it yeah. could go on forever. <laughs> if
1: you want. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But at some point you're like, I don't know how to either like, oh my God, I love it. I don't want to change anything in it. Right. But, but also sometimes like this is the best of my abilities for now. And I will do better next time you know so I think it's important with type design to to see to see your body of work as a body of work rather than simply one project at a time because there will be projects that come in that you will learn a lot and you will struggle a lot and then at some point like this is all I know how to do for now and I will learn better in the next one you know especially for me because I did so much of these Latin Arabic adaptations you know and And when I was designing, you know, the first ones, there was nothing I could look at. And so I didn't know what I was doing, you know, because there was nothing that I could say, look at and say, okay, this is how it's supposed to be. No, it it was like, you know, walking blindly and doing my best. And, And so for many, many years, it was like, okay, this is what I know how to do now. Then someone will use it and I will see it and then I will leave it and come back to it. And then I will do better in the next one. And then, you know, hopefully keep improving and... That makes it easier, you know, to to disengage a little bit.
0: It does, yeah. It's not that you have to go from step one to step 10 immediately. There's all sorts of intermediate steps that you can as a designer type And
1: it takes the pressure off you that this typeface is not everything that you are, you know? Your body of work, yes, but not the instance of that typeface, because it could be that you just don't know what to do with this one. It's too difficult. Or sometimes you need an extra year, but you don't have an extra year, you know, or you need an extra week and you still don't have that extra week, you know? So it's it's uh, like we we do the best we can and we learn. And it's important to uh, to remember that if there were questions that we didn't know how to answer before, to not forget them, to keep them and take them on and try to solve them in the next one.
0: I love it. I love yeah, that. Cool. <laughs> so, your yeah. typeface, to tell me if I'm pronouncing it incorrectly, is it Kufia, Kuf, Kufia? Yeah. Kufia. Kufia. So this was the yeah. first of its kind. Yes. I believe it yes. was your masters in part of your masters degree that you that you designed this. And so it was a typeface that was simultaneously designed in Latin and Arabic alphabets. So how does your design approach differ when you're when you're uh, kind of working in Latin alphabets versus Arabic? Oh. Latin is a thousand times more difficult for me.
1: Designing really? Latin. Yes, yes. Even though technically speaking, Arabic is harder. But for me, Latin is harder because I am just, I, I am more familiar with the Latin forms in Arabic and, and the logic behind them and the history and all. It's just, you know, what you've studied for many, many years versus what you've studied for one or two, you know? So there's a difference. And also the practice, because I've designed two Latin typefaces in my entire life but the arabic is I, I don't even know how many there's a lot right so it's just that that level of difficulty is, is still there um but um but with latin like um at least when you're designing with both if you're doing uh, you know if you're doing an adaptation uh of, of a latin typeface there's a lot of decisions that have already been taken uh the voice the personality the function all of it has already been set in stone it's there and you just need to be able to sort of translate it, right? So the Arabic is a translation of design decisions that have happened in the Latin. If you design an Arabic on its own, you have the full freedom. And then there are certain things you don't need to worry about, like um, how, you know, the, uh, the, the, the line, the line length, no, not the line length. So the um, the um, the leading, for example, the size on the body, it doesn't have to be very big. Uh, there are certain things you can do in Arabic that will never occur in Latin. And so you can just go with that. So there's lots of things that you're, you're free. You don't have to think about anybody else, right? It's like when you live alone versus you live with someone, right? So it's, it's, it's like that. But w- when you're designing both Latin and Arabic at the same time, you keep jumping between the two. You know because you take decisions here that affect there and so you go there and then you adapt and then you come back here and so you're you're jumping between the two and there you are able to get the Latin to do things that are not outside of its you know realm but not but are not typical. So in Latin like Kofia, for example has strong horizontal stress. The horizontals are quite thick, which is not very typical in Latin but doable. But because we do it that way, it matches better with the Arabic. Uh, The other Latin that I designed for NBC uh, last year, um, again, um, it has very, very low contrast, much less contrast than what Latin designers do in Latin. But it's acceptable, it's not wrong, but it has much less contrast and it makes it work better with the Arabic. So when I am able to design both at the same time, the, the rhythm, the overall picture, there will be so much more harmony between the two than if I were doing only the Arabic, you know, and having somebody else do the Latin. Like even when I've had projects where I've designed the Arabic and I supervise the Latin by somebody else, they will not come as close to being in harmony as when I do the Latin. That's That's been my experience so far. It's just you push the Latin in ways that a Latin designer might not think because they it's not how they would normally do it, you know? The, yeah.
0: And that makes a lot of sense, especially you understand kind of the big picture. So being able to do to design both yeah. at the same time, yeah. we think you're, yeah you're able to kind of come up with a, a more harmonious overall yeah. look between yeah. yeah yeah it's it's fun it's exciting. <laughs> now there's two obviously two broad categories: uh, serif and sans serif in yes. in um, in Latin alphabets. Uh, does this apply no. in Arabic letter forms or, or what determines no. readability? Or right. I, I if you're thinking of serifs and you're thinking of yeah. kind of creating this, uh, making the invisible baseline a bit more visible, is there any sort of equivalent in Arabic or what, what makes it more readable? So so this is like a rabbit hole. <laughs> like There's so many things we need to say about this. So first of all,
1: I, I am of the strong mind that we use the wrong terms in Latin. Uh, because the serif and sans serif, the difference is not the serif. The difference is the contrast and the axis, and the serif is the shoes. You know, so it's almost like when we are trying to describe people by the by the size of their feet, uh, rather than by their build. You know, and, and I love or, that. like, or you're trying note. to describe the outfit by the shoes, but not by the dress or the suit. You know, and and of course the shoes are important. All women know this, but <laughs> but but they are not usually the primary you know out, uh, aspect of your outfit they are an accessory and they are not the main meal right so now i'm mixing too many metaphors together but, but you know like they, they are the side salad side dish not not, not the steak and the fries yes. so um, so so basically when we describe latin based or categorize latin based on the shoes then we forget that there are more important elements that have a bigger role to play in the perception of typefaces and in the readability of typefaces than the serifs themselves. We make the serifs more important than what they are because what is more important is the structure uh, along by, on which the typeface is built. So the skeletal system, basically, of the letter forms. There is the contrast, which has a big impact as well. Uh, then there is the rhythm, there is the proportion. There are many, many big, big questions, the big meaty steak on the plate, not the little side coleslaw salad, you know, uh, which is nice and yummy and we love it, but it's not the main meal. And so um, when we go and we look at that in Arabic, we, we have different styles. There is nashan, there is Kufi, there is Ruqa. There's there's many different, based on the calligraphic styles that they come from. In, in general, in Arabic, naskh is the style that was developed as calligraphy for reading body copy, and so when we migrated into typographic forms, that style is still the de facto style for text faces. Uh, we have kufi that can be used for small bits of text, but in general, the difference between naskh and kufi is is the same. There is at the heart of it the same issue as what would make a legible or not legible typeface. Uh, Kufi in general is highly monotonous as, as shapes and highly geometric with not a lot of variation of forms, and this makes it harder to distinguish between different letter forms. But in Naskh is more organic, and so there is more differentiation of form, and it makes it easier to read because of that. Um, so when when we're looking at the styles uh, in, in in Latin, um, the the you know, legibility is, is greatly enhanced by anything we can do to make the letter forms different from one another. And, and so there are different ways to do that. But also, legibility, like in books, we prefer text that is set in serif, but on signage, not. On signage, we prefer sans serif because there are different variables. And, and you know, so this is like a very, very big, wild topic. But But in general, so I, you know, digress. In general, in Arabic, we don't have we don't need the service because arabic is built on a horizontal baseline so it's it's not a, it's not a hypothetical one like in latin it is there like that's that's part of the script itself and so that is already in in place but yes we do have different categories and and some are better for legibility in uh, Again, depending if it's headline or if it is text. So, KUFI in headline on signage will work better than us. So again, the same dynamics that you see in Latin, they sort of exist in Arabic as well.
0: Thank you. And I love yeah. that analogy. <laughs> Even though it was a it was a clothes analogy and it was a food analogy, yeah. I it. <laughs> all in a all. it makes <laughs> a lot of sense. So cool. getting into the kind of the meat of this conversation, what um, kind of inspired you or how did you get involved in creating Zapfino Arabic? And how did you get connected with Herman Zapf himself?
1: Right. Oh, yeah. So um, I'll try to keep the story short. So I uh, joined Linotype in 2005. And at the time, uh, Professor Zapf would visit the office once a week. Uh, you know sometimes twice a week sometimes once every two weeks whichever and and so uh, a few weeks after I was there he he was in the office and uh the uh managing director of the company Bruno Steinert um told him that you know they have this new intern uh who is from from Lebanon and she designs Arabic typefaces and and if he would like to meet me and and he like like yes so they called me to you know the big office and and I came and and then he brought his books and he was showing me what he had designed, and then I was giving him feedback, which is crazy. It's amazing. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, it's it's nuts. And and then and then we got to chat about you know like how we hold the pen in Arabic and like Arabic calligraphy and all of that. And you know we we got along really well. And then a few weeks after that, I don't know how quickly after that, but like very soon after that, he sent the fax because that's how we communicated with with the office he sent a fax to 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 Bruno and he was saying like ah oh, it would be so nice if Frau Shahin <laughs> would would work on you know like the companion to Palatino Nova and we could use Al Ahram typeface which he had designed in the 50s and you know we that would be you know that, something nice to do and and so that's how we started collaborate, our collaboration we took his existing typeface from the 50s we redesigned it together and um yeah, and he would come to the office and sit next to me and we'd draw together and it, this was a master's degree in and of itself, you know, to, to be able to see how he sees, you know, to watch watch him basically in action, no, you know, and, and to have him sit next to me and one time I was drawing and he was like, this looks too thin or something and there was a four unit out of a thousand unit UPM, there was a four unit difference and he saw it immediately, you know, his eyes were so sharp and he was like 93 at the time, no, no. How old was he no he was 86 at the time but anyway still you know in his 80s <laughs> so so quite unbelievable his eagle eyes and um so that was the start of our collaboration that was in 2005 then so we did palatino arabic and then palatino Saint arabic and at at i you know we had a colleague who was in charge of product marketing and he would always tell me like ah nadine you should do that i was like no way no way it's too difficult and then at some point after having designed many i was like you know what Maybe it's time and perhaps we could do it. And I had loved working with him so much. So um, I made some proposals. We By then, he didn't come to the office anymore. We, we went and visited him in Darmstadt and uh, where he lived with his uh, late wife as well. And, you know, I showed him the proposals. I brought some books on Arabic, Nasr and Nasta'liq, the, the two styles we will be referencing. And that was that was how we started. And it was very, very difficult. But, you know, it was, it was so nice to work with him.
0: That sounds lovely. I, yeah, that would be incredible to sit beside him and just, just work. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's just, uh, yeah, I was so lucky. <laughs> so what was the most kind of rewarding part of that whole process of specifically Zapfino Arabic and maybe the most challenging parts or part of?
1: So the most rewarding thing is like I learned how to draw curves like he does. That is, is, is a gift, you know, because I learned how to copy his style. And and so yeah, because I was the student and I was learning from him and so and looking at his typefaces and trying to match and because I tried to match them and after three typefaces, I could anticipate what would what would he draw it like. And so that was that was amazing, you know, because it's a skill that I took over. And then it it made me a better designer and it is reflected in everything that I had drawn after, because when you look at the way I drew before versus how I draw now you can see that something happened, you know, in that period, something changed, like I, I draw better now, thank God, no? <laughs> and, and yeah, the, the difficult part was that we were trying to, th- there was no existing calligraphy style in Arabic that would match Zafino, because Zafino is his handwriting, basically, and, and it is his handwriting, that's how he writes, and so we needed to invent a style in Arabic that would look as if he wrote it, if he would write Arabic, but that style didn't exist in writing and we had to do it in a typeface. you know so it's a bit like lots of pieces yeah yeah absolutely and i am not a calligrapher you know and like my god so it, it was it was hard it was for me mount everest that was my that was the most difficult thing i had ever attempted and some words look amazing some words not as much <laughs> um but yeah it it was it was tough but also very gratifying to work him
0: on this yeah it sounds really incredible and it's kind of his his living legacy in your handwriting or in your yeah. your ability to to write like him or or kind yeah, of that yeah, progression yeah. in your own in your own work yeah.
1: I mean I mean he has so many students right and he has inspired so many um and and we've all been lucky right to um, have the chance to yeah learn um, from yeah he's, he's a master <laughs> it's it's a it's a privilege. Yeah.
0: now i ask this kind of half jokingly but is there going to be a comic sans arabic in your <laughs>
1: <laughs> if they ask me <laughs> i don't know um and we, we don't have really a lot of like comicky kind of uh arabic typefaces uh, we need we probably do need one uh just for the fun of it you know um um, but but Comic Sans is Comic Sans not because of how it is designed, but because of how available it is, how widely distributed, right? Um, and so I don't think we'll be, we'll be able to match that in terms of iconic status and love it or hate it. no Some people love Comic Sans or some people hate it, you know, and take it with a grain of salt. So I don't think we'll be able to get to that level. But, but when it comes to having, you know, Arabic typefaces that look like they are written in a very informal way, yeah, we should. Yeah, we probably should. So, yeah, it's not. It's, not, it's, a, serious, it's a good question. <laughs> we need everything, basically. That's the short answer.
0: <laughs> yeah, which is so interesting because I mean, we have so many in Latin alphabet, so many uh, choices, like an overwhelming yeah, thousands. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and we have very little. It's yeah. so
0: interesting that there's that gap in 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 the Arabic alphabet. That's
1: yeah, yeah, but but also many other scripts as well. So yeah. it's not just yeah. So we we have a lot of work to do, and that's that's the most exciting part.
0: So, what can Latin alphabets learn from Arabic letter forms? Ooh, variation. Okay. Variation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because Latin has become
1: sort of stuck in a golden cage where it looks amazing, but there's very little variation. Like, when was the last time that you had a workhorse design? Not not a fancy script or a fancy brush lettering kind of typeface no the workhorses that we use all the time right when was the last time we saw a new genre open it's been a while yeah yeah, yeah it's, that's it's a been point. a while even though we have amazing designers practicing today so uh we yeah we need we need to accept to go back to standards where typefaces don't look like one another and these days they are too similar it's become so confined and people feel that if you sneeze it's a new typeface and it's not there's <laughs> more work to make typefaces different it it cannot be this close in design it cannot be that you need to be an expert to know the difference between two typefaces it right. cannot be they're way way too close to one another we need more variation and not not in terms of forms of expression because latin is able to do that but, but there needs to be an expansion of the design space. Mm. If only to support the variety that is coming, but is currently confined in a very small space, and we need to break it open. So, and, and there's a lot in Latin like, oh no, this is not how we do it because this is what it was done like before. In a way, Latin type design is what Arabic calligraphy is like today. You have a golden standard, it's amazing. I mean, come on, we, we, we need to move. So, um, yeah, I think that that would be a nice crossover.
0: I think that's such an interesting, interesting viewpoint that is absolutely true. You feel like almost there's there's so many rules and so many things that you have to um, to kind of accomplish if you're designing Latin alphabets that that, yeah. It, yeah, you feel confined to making it look a certain way or there's there's yeah. there's room to grow. But where will yeah. grow? I, I yeah.
1: yeah, but that's that's the fun part. <laughs>
0: What is your advice for aspiring designers who want to do something similar to what you're doing right now, but aren't sure how to get started? Where Where do they start?
1: It's It's quite difficult because that's not the the nice thing to say in the beginning, no. But basically, the, the the field of type design today is not the way it was when I started. It It used to be simpler, um, but still. Uh, I, I think type design is, is a beautiful profession and I definitely recommend people to get into it. Now, the question is, in what script are they designing? Is it is it in Latin? Is it in Arabic? If it's in Latin, think very carefully because there's a lot of people already doing it. So, you know, it's a bit more competitive. Uh, in Arabic, open field, come join us, you know? So, <laughs> so it depends, you know, in what script you want to design for because there's a, quite a lot of saturation in Latin. And, you know, you need to be really, really good and competitive to be able to make it in Latin um, in Arabic you know we don't have <laughs> we don't have so many so it's easier but um I think the, the the most important part for me is like where do you want to get to and then map the steps as to how to get there so you like do you want to be a professional type designer yes okay so what do you need for that you need the skill set do you just loving type doesn't mean you know how to draw it well. No matter how much you love it, loving something and the skill of being good at it—they're correlated, but not. There is no causality, right? So, um, so, so you need to see: Do you have the skill? And if yes, amazing. Refine it and continue. If not, is it something that you could, for example, study? If you like do like me, you do a master's and you learn from the teachers, you learn from the students, and then you keep teaching yourself as you go, that could be one avenue. Um, or you could say, you know what, I do not have the opportunity, whether it is for visa reasons or cost reasons to go and study abroad. What can I do? I look online, I get books, I look at presentations, I take some workshops online, you know. So try to map yourself onto a path that will get you the skill set that you need. Now. After you get that skill set and while you're developing it, then you're working on a portfolio, right? So then you start to create, you know, the, the work that you want to be known for. Uh, you start designing, you start refining. If you're able to go to conferences when we're out of lockdown, that would be amazing because then you get to meet people and they give you feedback and, you know, you, you get to learn a lot. Um, and, and, and so that, that could be, you know, one way to start. But, but for me, it, it always starts with the study and the research you cannot become a designer without doing the work you you teach the eye before you teach the hand you know so um you uh, or if you're a calligrapher simultaneously <laughs> but 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 there is uh, the 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 skill of a type designer depends on the sharpness of the eyes and you could you could be you know very talented and by nature you have sharp eyes so you are able to spot differences or it could be that this is not something you're born with, but you teach yourself, and you can get there. Like my eyes were not sharp, no, when I started in graph in type design, they when they were you know, as if you have myopia, right? But but then with time you you pick it up, and then they get sharper. So you train it, and and it's a muscle, and it can be trained, and and so you but you need to you need to do the work. You need to read. You need to understand. You need to look, and then you need to ask yourself like, why am I doing this? Is it just because it's fun? Is it because it's fashionable to be a type designer today? Because that might not be the case in 30 years when you're at the prime of your career, right? So it 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 really it, it it's all about that drive that you have and where you want to get to, but but it always begins with the research and the study and the hard work. It's it's very easy to look. At, at others once they've become successful and to see that, ah, it's so easy for them. They're getting the projects, they're getting, but almost always behind the success is a lot of hard work. And so if you want to get into type design, it's not for the faint hearted. We sit for many, many hours and we move pixels, and well, not pixels, but you know, we we move the points around to, to you know, minute, minute changes that a graphic designer will never see. But we know that we need to do it because, it's the butterfly effect you make a tiny tiny change but because it repeats so much it gets to be a very big effect you know so so you it you know it, it takes a lot of hard work to to create a typeface um that is good and original and is not a copy and but there is a beauty in it and and but but that beauty requires your dedication you know and and all of it starts with the studying i don't know i know i keep repeating myself but but it's never wasted. The books you read, the typefaces you look at, the people you talk to, this is all, even if you don't get the results quickly, but everything that I've ever like um, invested time in has come and helped me at a later point in life when I didn't even expect that I would need it, but it came in and it supported. So time doing the research and the studying and the reading is never wasted. And for anything we do in life, is the way to start. At least that's that's for me, you know. So
0: I completely agree. I love that advice, and and that kind of those little nuggets of information that you gather along the way will come in handy in <laughs> yeah. times when you don't even realize it.
1: Exactly. We we're going like the path is like a spiral. You know, you you go up. But then you look down and there's all the things that have helped you go up and you go on bigger, bigger circles, but it is a spiral at the end. You build and you go up and that's staircase, you know, you, you take everything with you and at some point you look back and like, my God, I've learned so much. And there
0: is value in that. And that's why people come and ask you things, right? So, uh... so I know we're very, very, very short on time. I have one final teeny tiny question for you because I've started a little tradition here on, uh, on Talk Paper Scissors. If you could use one... Only one typeface for the rest of your life. What would it be and why?
1: Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, in Latin or in Arabic? Uh, Either. Oof. I, I will not pick one of my typefaces because that's cheating. I think currently on Arabic, I'm a big fan of Calibri Arabic. I, I would pick that one um it's very well drawn it's friendly it's it's um excellent proportions the designer is brilliant and and i I just love reading in it so i i like to be with it that typeface it's it's good with latin i've always used to say it's frutiger currently i would say i would like a version of frutiger with less contrast and then that one will be the one
0: perfect yeah i love it (laughs) so are you going to design that a frutiger with less contrast
1: no, you need someone who draws better than me. <laughs> <laughs>
0: hardly, hardly. Well, thank you so much. It's been wonderful, wonderful chatting with you, Nadine. And you. Uh, I really appreciate your time and your wisdom. And uh, and it's I know listeners do too. So thank you so, so much.
1: You're welcome. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Ms. Chaheen, for your important contributions to an incomplete history of type. From the Middle Ages to the Middle East from Futura to Freight. Thank you for joining us on a journey across the type universe and going where no designer has gone before. We've made it. Now, only time will tell who the next faces of type will be and what typefaces they will create to change the world.